Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Marcus Meets, a show that's available via iTunes podcasts for Apple devices or Acast, which works on iPhone, Android, and you can listen with whatever device you want pretty much by heading to marcusbronzy.com slash meets. That's M-A-R-C-U-S-B-R-O-N-Z-Y dot com slash meets. Today's episode, Ben Bailey Smith, aka Doc Brown, super clever and talented man from a lineage of super talented people. Doc Brown is an entertainer who's been creating content to entertain literally all ages and still is creating content that entertains all ages. Everything from children's books all the way through to full-blown comedy shows for adults. There's a lot of great knowledge Doc Brown drops on us on this episode. We also talk about the first time Ricky Gervais called him, what he said, um, his ITV dramatical brief encounters, uh, what stand-up he prefers, how to rap like Drake, uh, a very cyclical part of his life, so much. And um, learning as well. There's a lot about learning. Uh, and Doc Brown seems like somebody who's definitely learned a lot and it's good to learn how other people learn as well. Anyway, before we get stuck into it, he mentioned that being on TV can make you aware of changes in your weight. But can you really tell from watching yourself on the box whether or not you have a couple of extra pounds here or there? Yeah, I just, you just look at yourself and think, oh my God, what was I eating? What really? was I eating that week? Yeah. You know, there's that saying like um, the, the camera puts on 10 pounds. Yeah. I don't really? Know, I don't know if that's true, but what, the, what, what it does do is it provides, it provides you with a, a constant mirror. And if you're not a mirror guy, like I'm not really a mirror guy, I don't really care that much. But when you see yourself, you're like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And I'm never going to be one of those gym guys. You know, most of the actors that I work with, they're all gym guys. I, just, I can't be asked with that. Do you I, know? I think people should look like normal people, but at the same time, yeah. I want to sort of. I, I know it's crunch time. What Once about I fat hit 40, people, though? Should they not be gym guys? Well, I mean, if, you, if you're fat, I think you've just, you know, you've got to ask yourself some questions. I think if you're totally happy, then I. It's not an issue unless you're like morbidly obese and it's going to kill you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's, that's something that I think an outside party needs to have an intervention and force you to, to save your own life. But if you're, you know, if you're just festively plump and you enjoy it and whatevs. Yeah. But like for me, whenever I've, I've been weighty, like I feel more 
tired. I don't want to do shit. Less self-esteem. So you can generally feel it though. Yeah, like when you it. like I've be, I've you been fat, bruv. Like this ain't about me. To I've been fat. Yeah, I've been actually fat. Like as a youngster, so I, I know what it's like. How fat? How fat was that? Um, you know, I wasn't like I wasn't like you know, like I say, obese. But I was fat enough to have the the piss ripped out of me <laughs> at school. Like you what? Know? Like. It just it is what it is, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Just you know, you even even chubbiness is like that's enough. That's enough. Like kid, you know, our kids are. Yeah, kids are animals. They are. They are. What do do we want to go into nicknames and stuff? I mean, I can share with you if you share with me. I I don't I don't remember particularly, but um, <laughs> oh, I remember Marty McThigh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which I still get called occasionally by some of my my closer closer friends. Yeah, okay. Um, I don't mind that one. I find it quite funny. But Marty Mathai, yeah, yeah I think it's good. It's solid. I think that kids come Rolls up with the best. Tongue. Kids come up with the best nicknames for stuff yeah, like that. It's, it's, you know, that's where all the best slang comes from. Yeah, kids. I was speaking to um, like an uncle in law, and he used to get called Eyeball by his two by his brother and sister. So like, you see, why? Why? Because they always used to. There was like two siblings. Uh, three kids in total and he was the youngest but he always wanted to be in on what they were saying when they were like you know whispering and talking like mm. kids do and apparently he was always always at the other side of the room eyeing <laughs> out what they're saying so I couldn't eyeball anyway um, Ben thanks for coming down today um, we're here Pleasure. obviously to talk about first off because you're such a multifaceted entertainer um, the hmm. acting side of things man okay. like kicking ass out here yeah well um, no, what do you want to talk about first the film I'm trying like, listen, the ITV you, show whatever you want to discuss I'm, I'm I'm open to discussing so you know the, the important thing is that the interview is not boring that's mm. that's my main thing because I find interviews quite tedious a lot of the time because they're so heavily uh, they're sort of PR'd to death you know? okay alright well then um, let's go back to so whatever you want to talk about let's, I'm, let's, I'm happy to before, talk before we go on the only thing that upsets me about fat people is the noisiness of <sighs> sitting down and <sighs> just when you're doing things that shouldn't require noise no it's not getting up and sitting down when you're doing things that don't require noise like just sitting there quietly mm. next to me on some public transport mm. I don't want to hear the distress of right. the weight on your chest. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, there's there's, there's something slightly fascistic about that opinion. <laughs> I mean, we've both been fat, so we should we should appreciate uh, you know, the difficulties that those people people have. Yeah. Um I mean, I don't I don't really have a problem with that. I I think you've got a you know, you got to take every every situation uh, as it as it is. Oh, thank you. I've just been delivered a a cold beverage thank you um, a warm one no I don't, I don't have an issue with that I've got more of an issue with, with pregnant women like doing those noises like I know you're pregnant you don't have to like everyone can see really yeah yeah and just like constantly <sighs> <sighs> like they're the first people to ever ever have a baby uh, and they're just stroking themselves constantly yeah looking at you going guess what yeah I get it I I'm get pregnant. it yeah. yeah fair enough yeah. Um, so yeah David Brent Life on the Road let's mm. go there first man okay. um, tell us a bit more about your character though please yeah I mean well, it's based on a character that me and Ricky developed for Comic Relief in 2013 who is a uh, sort of um, sort of nice but dim uh, aspiring rapper called Dom Johnson mm. um, yeah he's not the sharpest tool in the box but he's, uh, he's, he's, he's very loyal and um, he sort of follows David around a little blindly. 
um, because David is providing him with the finances to record his demo. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't see what well, he just doesn't have quite enough imagination to to step out on his own. Um, so what you see in in the movie is essentially a kind of passive aggressive father and son kind of relationship between uh, uh, David and Dom um, that has its various ups and downs. Ricky phoned my phone in 2012 mm-hmm. um, when I was sat in my garden and. Uh, and said, "Hey, hey, it's, it's 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 Ricky Gervais, you know." And I just thought it was somebody wasting my time because actually the first thing he said was, "What's up, Doc?" Which I find really irritating, naturally. Um, and then he did the laugh, <laughs> and then he said, "No, it's, it's Ricky. It's Ricky Gervais." And obviously, I just thought it was someone wasting my time, you know. So I was like, "Dude, I I really don't have time for this." <laughs> and um, then he passed the phone to a, somebody who turned out was a something of a mutual friend mm-hmm. um, who said, no, it really is Ricky. He's got something he wants to ask you. So he said, like, I've been watching you on YouTube and stuff and I'm um, doing this tour of Scandinavia. I wondered if you come and open for me. So that was, that was that. That's how it started. And then you know, he flew me out first class to, to Norway. And um, that, was, that was the first and last time I've ever been on first class. It was lovely. <laughs> and, um, you know, did the gig and, and we had a few beers and, and started chatting about future work, really. He was just developing a show called Derek and he said, you know, I'd love to try and crowbar you in there. When we get back to London, you should come round, should try do some writing. So that's what happened. Went round and Derek came first. We developed an episode together. And then um, just in the process of hanging out, we started writing songs together. And that's where the Equality Street song came from. Yep, acceptance. See that Kenyan guy with mental eyes? He might be totally normal. You can't generalize. Black people aren't crazy. Fat people aren't lazy. And dwarves aren't babies. You can't just pick them up. They got right. And he decided to do it as David Brent, as a little one off for comic relief. It got such a huge response that he said, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring him back properly. Mm. With 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 you as as like a sort of subplot kind of hero, I was well, like, all right, <laughs> excellent. And w- what can we expect from the movie then? Like, like what what's going to differ us from the sort of David Brent? Well, I mean, it's totally different from The Office. The only thing it retains from The Office is the character David Brent, but it's very much a kind of spinal tap homage. Um, it's, I guess, something of a musical because it, it follows um, David's sort of disastrous attempts to be a rock star so he puts a band together with this this young rapper and they go off on a on a terrible tour so i guess it's kind of a road movie a buddy movie and a kind of musical rock rockumentary Mm. yeah and you mentioned ricky like straight off the bat when he Mm. called you was just cracking jokes already yeah yeah straight away (laughs) so set life must have been kind of interesting then Mm. Life on set was, I mean, it was, I mean, I've, I've been involved in upwards of 20 shoots now and life on the road was easily the most entertaining, the most fun. And it, and it was the one that kept you on your toes the most as well, because he would encourage us to improvise every, every day on set, come up with things. And then he'd just edit in the moment. He'd say, oh yeah, that thing you said there, just narrow that down you know, and then we'd shoot it 
and a lot of that is in the movie amazingly so every day was kind of scary but in in a good way because most things you shoot very very regimented very regimented you say what's on the page and you do exactly what was planned whereas ricky some days we do something completely different and the the crew loved it as well even though it was hard to plan for stuff most days everybody loved it because it was just different and ricky always finishes early that's why he's, he's so popular as a director in in the industry <laughs> most shoots just go on you know 12 hours a day ricky will always be done by like half three four really <laughs> yeah yeah wow yeah so everybody loved working with him yeah uh, this is a fun shoot man and with you know these actual musicians in and actually being on the road going from venue to venue to shoot um i just had a ball because you know I'm fr- i come from music and i find you know shooting tv and film it's it's great but it's very workmanlike and it's very very tedious at times people don't realize it's not like music you know, music, probably the tedious thing is is rehearsing and rehearsing and sound checks. And sometimes, you know, sometimes the travel. But on the whole, you're with friends and, <laughs> you know, doing a music gig is not like doing 12 hours of shooting in a day. You don't necessarily have to begin work at, at 6 a.m. And, and be drinking tea. You can start work at sort of, 10 p.m. and have a beer do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah, and still yeah. do your job amazingly well mm. so with that in mind um with the musicians particularly and Andy Burrows who's a former drummer and an MD and songwriter for uh, for Razorlight um you know we just had a ball man like those guys would be out in lunch break like finding the nearest pub and and you'd have to drag them out you know and like all the prop beers, just drink them, you know. <laughs> so they were actual beers. They weren't. Yeah, they weren't yeah, prop yeah. beers like EastEnders. Yeah, I mean, there's some. There were some some scenes we shot where we were we were so drunk it was it was silly. Like there was one one scene we shot a in a bar above Dingwalls. Do they still call it Dingwalls? I don't even know in Cam- Camden Town. Mm. Um, I think they call it the Lock now. Um, but uh yeah we had like, for some reason our characters were given desperados <laughs> to drink at the bar which for those who don't know are like sort of a mixture of beer and tequila mm. uh, they're horrific but um yeah we just like downed the beers and the prop guy was like all oh, right I need to refresh those i try not to drink <laughs> as much on this take but we just did the same thing and by the end of the scene we'd probably had about six each so mm. you know there was that slight lawlessness to it that was just super fun, man. And um, everyone that worked on it was cool, open-minded and, you know, down to have a good time. So it was just, it was just unlike any other shoot I've mm. been on. Mm. I always remember it, I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking, for, I'm looking forward to getting my eyes on that, man. And, and yeah, well, August 19th, man. Yeah. 2016. Yeah, definitely. And, and I know there's a lot of actors out there right now that when they hear this, are probably thinking, wow, I like beer. And I like acting. <laughs> I need to work with Ricky Gervais at some point. You just, you sold it. And, and yeah. finishing at four as well. Yeah, incredible. So what was the difference um, on set between, say, for example, that and then Brief Encounters, which is like a whole side of you, which I've only been aware of since sort of Law and Order stuff. Right, so I yeah. come like the serious side of you. Yeah, I mean, listen, there are some 
dramas that are as crazy in terms of a shoot as as anything that that, that Ricky might do. I mean, I I just watched the movie recently called Victoria, which is a, a sort of very gritty thriller set in Berlin, but it was shot in one take, so it was just a continuous shot uh, going across Berlin, dealing with all sorts of crazy stuff, police chases, and also technically it's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, but, you know, that couldn't have been a, a straightforward experience. I'm sure it would have been very trying, but a lot of fun as well. But the majority of movies and, and TV shows that you see are shot in the same way. They're, it's dependent on location first and foremost. So you'll be shooting a scene from five minutes into the movie, a scene from 35 minutes into the movie and a scene, maybe the final scene all in one day because those scenes are, all take place in, in one location. Mm. Therefore, you're, you're leaping around and you're very, very dependent on light location and availability of actors. Mm. So, you know, the process has to be planned almost with an inch of its life and energy. So even when you see a really amazing, energetic script, exciting or funny or scary or whatever it's supposed to be, the actual process of shooting it often is exactly the same. You know, from the wackiest comedy to the most terrifying hor horror, the process is, is a lot of the time just identical. And um, so on something like Brief Encounters, you know, the biggest difference is this is a an ITV um, CPL production, um, you know, big companies, lots of experience of, of, of shooting stuff, and they're going to do it in the way that they know how to do. As Life on the Road was like Ricky set up production company just for that, and he mm. was in charge of everything. Mm. So, you know, it was always going to be a totally different experience. I mean, you know, Brief Encounters was just just as enjoyable, but in a totally different way. It's way more of like, okay, this is this is a job. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. you can't be you can't be nipping off to the pub at lunch break and stuff. Mm. You know, people are on you to get things done and um, time frames are everything. Okay, well, as a recording this, I've not actually seen it yet. I've just seen the trailer. Sure. Um, so, what is it about? Uh, well, Brief Encounters is is a six part um, drama, kind of a comedy drama, I guess. There's a lot of light moments in it a lot of a lot of fun um and it's set in 1982 and it's about the sort of birth of the ann summers parties the um the sort of you know same structure as the tupperware party where women would go to other women's houses and and sell stuff and have like an event around it it's, you know some glasses of wine and have a laugh but with exotic lingerie and marital aids Mm, marital yeah, aids marital I have not heard them being called that for a that's very long time that's what wow. they were called initially to, to avoid embarrassment um, so uh, the lead is played by Sophie Rundle um, who people can probably see right now in, in Peaky Blinders mm -hmm. uh, and there's Angela Griffin who everybody knows um, from various soaps and, and dramas Sharon Rooney from my big fat mad diary and um, Penelope Wilton and um, it sort of follows the story of the, these four women in a kind of, you know, experiencing a kind of, I guess, a sexual revolution. Um, and I play essentially the love interest of, of, of Sophie, the, um, the lead. Uh, yeah. And, and there's a lot going on in it. Um, it I'll tell you what it's, it feels like tonally. 
if people are into this kind of thing then they'll know whether they want to watch it or not it's a, it's like a cross between like the full monty and made in dagenham you know it's got that vibe of like you know working class real lives it's up north um smatterings of comedy feel good stuff but also you know quite uh, i wouldn't want to say gritty drama but you know real life drama yeah yeah. yeah, you get your kit off in it as well. Yes, yeah. yes, I do. That was uh, it was kind of an awkward thing for me because, like I say, I'm not I'm not a gym guy, and I, I never will be a gym guy. Um, so I was very sort of paranoid because, like, the other actors in it were all ripped, mm. and I spoke to the producer about it. Actually, I was like, "Look, this is me. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not built." And she was like, "Dude, no, nobody was ripped in the eighties, you know." Just you know, just it'll, it'll be more attractive to people to see a normal-looking dude on the show. And mm. I was like, ah, all right, cool. That gave me a lot more confidence. So yeah. as long as I don't, my next role isn't in a superhero movie. Or I was going to say Marvel. Or that's in the Millennium. No, I think that's that I'm, could I'm be cool. the one thing that could that could change your life because we've Possibly. seen these Marvel films yeah. like Wonders. They've turned people into these monsters. I mean, one of my closest friends in the industry, Ed Skrine, has just recently. Um, played Francis Ajax the villain in, mm. in Deadpool and um, you know he he was also the, the new transporter taking over from Jason Statham and you know when I when I hang out with him now like the dude is ripped like he's Hollywood ready you yes. know what I mean and uh, it's part and parcel of what he does because a lot of his roles are very very physical mm. and I, there is a part of me that thinks oh I'd love to do what Ed does and then at the same time I think I don't know if I want to do all the exercise that it does. Do you know what, Doc? So, it's, 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 <laughs> bruv, those regimes, when you start reading into yeah. them, just reading like what Hugh Jackman has to do. Yeah, that just, that, just that makes me tired. And, yeah. and Hugh, Hugh Jackson, as I call him, is like, <laughs> Hugh's you know, jacked, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he must be what, mid 40s now? Yeah, yeah. And, and like Daniel Craig, who's possibly even into his 50s, these, these guys look incredible. Mm and the work they must have to do to retain that body it, it is eye-watering. And on top of that, they must be knackered all the time. I, I just don't know if I could do it. I think it's one of those things that if you did a, I reckon if you did a film, I don't even know you, but if you did, if you did a film like that, if, if you did a film, I reckon once you had that though, would you feel like, well, I won't mind keeping it around for a little while. Like, would, you, would you do the maintenance? I don't think I would, no. I mean, I, my favourite thing on a film set is like, I mean, I had, like I say, I have a few friends that are actors, but I have made way more friends over the years in the in the business mm -hmm. from crew. Yep. And a crew are never going to be self-conscious because nobody knows who the hell they are, mm. you know? And when the crew want to have a drink after work on, on a certain day, like, I just love, I love, I love coming along and, um, most actors at the end of the day they'll go to the hotel and they'll hit the hit the hotel gym and i can tell you like not even nine times out of ten ten times out of ten which decision i'm gonna make <laughs> it's just the way i am so you know i can't see that changing anytime soon um but like i say i if i was offered a job where i had to be a, a physical specimen i'd work for that job but i wouldn't yeah. i wouldn't retain it be so asked. basically if marvel comes calling we'll we'll be looking at doc brown Dench, Doc Brown. Yeah, for one film. If it's Big a franchise. Ben Big Ben Bailey. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Big Ben Bailey Smith. Big yeah. Ben Bailey Smith. Yeah, that's there. Um, <laughs> so you've kind of, you kind of answered this already, but I'll, I'll ask you again. So 
with regards to acting, you we know you do comedy. We know you can do serious stuff. Law and Order, obviously, Brief Encounters, which is coming out. Yeah, Brief Encounters. We haven't got a TX date for it yet, but it will be early to mid July. So okay. I haven't got the exact date, but I'm sure by the time this comes out, you'll be able to stick that in a link or something. Definitely, 2016. Mm. Um, yeah. So would you lean more towards comedic roles if you had the choice, or or is it for you? No, you I, I lean forum? specifically towards quality of script. Right. That is my only focus. Uh, if it's a great script and it's a comedy, then lovely, you know, because everybody knows my relationship with comedy. But I genuinely have no preference. I, I, I want to do, uh, I want to work on scripts where the, you know, the lines are, you know, it's full of zingers. The character that I'm playing has some kind of interesting journey to go on. That's a challenge for me, you know. So, um, I just want to be able to do things that surprise people and myself, okay. you know, because I think one of the reasons I, I take on so many different, um, what's the word sensibilities within entertainment is because I get bored easily. I get bored very, very easily. So if I'm doing one thing for too long, I'm just like, yeah, you know, it's like with stand up, you know, it, my promoters my live promoters and fans I say hey man you know one more show and you you know full length show you could be at Wembley you know doing arenas and stuff and I'm like yeah yeah I don't really fancy that like I I prefer stand up to be intimate and I prefer to do it when I want to do it I don't want to be forced into suddenly being funny like when I feel funny that's when I do stand up and it's the same with all my other stuff sometimes I want to make music just for the hell of it and then that's what I'm going to do. Sometimes I want to write for children and that's what I'm going to do, mm. you know? And it, for some people, they're like, they can't, can't get it in their heads. And it's just like, no, I can't, I can't handle, you can't be good at this. You can't do that. And I'm like, well. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Sorry. How do you feel about people that drop that saying? You know, jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's very, very true. Um, but I think too much is made of the so-called difference between the things that I feel I excel at. I don't think they're different at all. Um, I think the master of all trades, uh, you know, master of master of none, I should say, 
Um, there's very rarely a truer word said, but if you look at trades, that's the key word within that phrase. To take on a different trade all of a sudden is a very, very difficult thing. I don't feel that I've ever done that. If you look at what I've done from the start, from the beginning I was a rapper, right? Which meant I had to write entertaining content and perform it, okay? Um, from there, I went into stand-up, which meant I had to write entertaining content and perform it. From there, I went into acting. I didn't even have to write entertaining content because content, that was written, but I had to perform it. And then from there, I wrote a children's book where I had to write entertaining content and I do perform it regularly in mm. front of you know families at the book festivals and whatnot. I don't see any of them as being that different. If if you said I was a rapper and then I suddenly did like figure skating and then flower arranging and then I was going to do like synchronized swimming, you'd be like, Dude, what the hell is this guy all about? Mm. Why is he trying to? Whereas I, I just see myself as a writer, a performer, and, and I apply those to the, the areas that I think I can do. You know, I can rap. I can't sing operati operatically, so I'm not going to try. It's a well, different I've heard, trade. I've heard your Drake impression. It's not really <laughs> operatic singing, but um, I can hold yeah, a note. I yeah, can hold you, a note. you can hold a note. You can you can um, you can link for that um, yeah. like Drake does. Yeah. Um, your Drake impression is pretty cool. Thank you. And I haven't got a gun, but I could use a gun. I wouldn't shoot it, but I know a guy who shoot a gun. And I know some other guys who would snap on you. They the hardest motherfuckers out in Canada. Step to Drake, I will punch you in the face. Not literally, but my friend will punch you in the face. Uh, Apparently yeah. there's like a set of rules behind this. But that's I right. Find I mean, the that's where it what, are, what are the rules for rapping like Drake? I just posted on Twitter and Instagram. Um, just something that made me laugh is me and my brother are always, you know, we're always talking about Drake because I think he's such an interesting character. As as much as I love taking the piss out of him, I also think he's amazing. Like when he's mm. good, he's up there with the best. And I realise why he polarises opinion, obviously, because, you know, he's he's all vulnerable and he's, he's, he's soft and he openly talks about that. Um, but, you know, that's kind of why we like him, you know, and... Obviously, you know, he's an, he's another mixed race person who sort of embraces his uh, his sort of betweeniness. Um, sometimes he gets a bit carried away and I'm quite entertained by that as well. And, and to be honest, up until his most recent album, I've liked mm. almost everything he's put out. Mm. But he is easy to ridicule and mm. he ridicules himself to be fair. He's on Saturday Night Live all the time wearing stupid wigs and doing yeah. dumb stuff. And I, I just think, you know, he's a target like we're all targets but i do it with love and affection really mm. um so yeah i just got to the point where me and my brother we were talking about how on every drake album there's certain tropes you know and i thought about them in terms of like almost rules like if you wanted to create your own drake song there's certain rules and uh i think the first one was you've got a reference how how good this year is going in comparison to last year, even though last year was amazing and you were better than everybody else. And what's next year going to be like? That's a key one. <laughs> um, you got a reference, some form of shellfish or seafood at some point. Yeah. Um, you got to talk about either overpaying, abandoning or saving a stripper. All right. Um, you got to shout out a city as if it's somewhere you lived. 
for but some you time. Don't. But you don't. Yes, that's crucial. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Um, oh, and uh, also, uh, you're not ever gonna kill anybody, but don't don't let anybody push you because you do know somebody who knows somebody who might be able to kill somebody. So those are those are the five. Those are my top five. Like make a Drake song rules. And there's a video of you applying those rules. Yeah, because I was on um, this radio show, internet radio, FUBAR, and my co-host had read the tweet and he said, dude, you know, it's it's really funny. You should should actually see if the rule, you can apply the rules, you know, to a Drake beat. So I I wrote wrote a rap on on the show and just performed it. It was like my thing on that show was always to write a rap within the show and perform it on the day. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a, a, a Drake one and it, it got filmed. And I think, I mean, I don't, I don't engage with YouTube at all, but I'm told that it's, um, it's the one out of all the songs that I did on FUBAR that got the most. Cause it sounds, it does sound like a Drake lyric, bruv. So I was like, what, what are the rules behind this? Like some, somebody <laughs> has cracked the code. Like, yeah, I've cracked the code. Someone has stepped in I've cracked the code. and worked it out. You know, I, as much as I love music, the frustrating thing about being a musician is you constantly look behind the curtain. It's, mm. it's like the same way that I can't fully enjoy stand up because I know what they're doing. You know, I know what the process is and I know how cynical it is. Yeah. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. You know, when Penn and Teller, the magicians, had a show where they showed you how some of their most famous tricks were done. It didn't kill the magic for me. Yeah. Like it, it made me realize what geniuses they were mm. to even think up how to do those things. So although I've cracked the code of how to write a Drake song, doesn't mean his songs have any less worth. He's, mm. he invented that code. So he is still right up there with, with, with some of the best. And, you know, it makes me laugh that, that that people genuinely get so angry about him because he's, he's just he's just doing his thing. It's just music, man. It's I, just music. I, I, I don't know if if I don't like something, I just don't. You just don't, don't listen I don't, to I don't it. Take it on. Do you know? What I don't I mean? know why we have to have this thing in rap. I guess it's because it's a street culture. You know, in rock and roll, you know, when if someone doesn't like another person's music, unless they're like Noel Gallagher, they don't bang on about like. <laughs> They just make their music, yeah, and, it, and it's different from this other music because clearly they don't like that type of of rock and roll, and that's it is what it is. It's slightly classier, whereas in rap we feel the need to denigrate that rapper that we don't like and just pull him down a notch. Yeah, and we also have no respect for the previous king in rap. Nah, it's all in about, rock and roll. Yeah. The previous kings are celebrated forever. Mm. And, you know, we, we just ridicule us. So, like, we ridicule 50 Cent now. We ridicule every person who's been on the throne up until this point from, you know, Cool G Rap through Big Daddy Kane, mm. right through Nas, Jigger. If they're not on top now, we're like, oh, yeah, there has been. Yeah. No, they provided yeah. the platform for you to be on top now. It's like you have to die. You have, like you have to die. That's the only way to, to stay. That's the only way you can freeze your on top. Yeah, yeah freeze your on topness. Because once you're old, you're you're done. You're mm. whack. And I'm not saying like Fifty Cent's output now or Eminem's output is something that I listen to, mm. but it cannot be denied. Like 2000, when Fifty put out Power of the Dollar, I mean, he was untouchable for me. Like he he was he was he was. He was my favorite rapper at that time which seems crazy to say now and Eminem similarly you know 
I mean, everybody knows what he did. Um, but, you know, every musician eventually, they have a, they have a natural shelf life. But the, their output at the top of their game should always, always be respected and celebrated. You can't say, oh, yeah, he's a husband now. Mm. Look, look at these new guys. New doesn't necessarily mean good. Just There's just a hype about you because you're new. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean... People telling me that that J Cole is is like the the greatest rapper. It's like <laughs> you guys are so overexcited, man. <laughs> you know, I think that's a generation. I think I think that's a that's a generational thing. I think now it's it's that um and uh, and we're at risk of sounding like old farts here. I, have, it's I that, have it's no that, problem that with on, sounding that, that way. It's that on demand sort of culture mm. sort of thing. Um, but it's interesting coming from you, like, and you know, because you've you've had. A journey in rap as well and like mm. you mentioned dingles which isn't like you know mm. um if i'm you took, correct me if i'm in one of the places where you know you did some work earlier on your rap career dingles is a very special venue to me because i've revisited it with various different things i've done um at times where what i'm doing is completely fetal so for example the very first rap battle i ever took part in was at Dingwalls at a night called Mudlums in in 99 um and the very first paid stand up 8 minutes that I did was for Jonglers at Dingwalls and the very first movie I ever acted in um was Life on the Road the the, the Ricky Gervais movie and one of the first scenes we shot was the band playing on stage at Dingwalls. And on top of that, you know, I'm from here, I'm from Northwest London. Camden was like my West End as a, as a, as a, as a kid, you know? Yeah. Um, so my relationship with the area is, is very, it's very profound and it, it means a hell of a lot to me. So, uh, yeah, Dingwalls is a, is a funny one. It just keeps sort of popping up. Yes. I, if I was a spiritual person, I'm sure I'd <laughs> say something about the moon and the stars, but I'm not really. But that's, that's yeah, I don't nice. think you can talk about the moon and the stars and dingwalls. At the end of the day, it is, <laughs> it is a st- stinky, decrepit hole in the ground, but it's my stinky, decrepit hole in the yeah, ground. So. Yeah. And you came up in Northwest, whereabouts? Yeah. I mean, like coming here, you know, it's just, I didn't even need to read the whole address because, you know, I, I grew up in Willesden. Um, I've got family all over Kensal Rise where we're, we're recording this. Kilburn and went to school in Cricklewood um mm. you know this is this is my area I mean I know every paving stone um as soon as I come out of this studio I know every paving stone for a good sort of two three mile radius yeah um I spent so much time on these streets it's mad to see it change so much I mean Kensal Rise now is it's like a sort of millionaire's paradise um whereas when I was growing up it was just sort of a sort of in-betweeny between sort of Willsden and 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 and, uh, and Labrick Grove, it was. It, I always saw it as like the gateway to Carnival. I used to love walking from my mum's house up from Willsden to Kensal Rise and just slowly seeing the masses build on Carnival weekend. Um, and you know you can still see that, but it's um, it's kind of unrecognisable Kensal Rise to be honest. It's, uh, it's it's very strange. There's a lot of exposed brick and wooden. Uh, wooden benches and, and free Wi-Fi yeah. coffee shops and yeah you're hard pressed to find a, a cushion to put on yeah <laughs> that exposed brick shit man like dude you guys have got money like just 
just paint this place. Like, just, it just looks <laughs> lazy to me. <laughs> Exposed brick and, um, Exposed and, brick and old like bits of phrase. furniture to sit on. It's like yes, a phrase, yeah, like yeah. street food. I saw, yeah. I saw a place in Covent Garden the other day that was like, had a sign outside saying, come inside for street food. And I was like, well, that's oxymoronic to, to begin with. <laughs> street food it should be on the street. I had a little peek in and they had like these Jamaican themed bits of food. I don't see any Jamaicans working in there, but there was like sort of fusion, jamaican fusion type patties. Mm. Everything was wildly overpriced. And I was like, this is not street food. This Sounds is not like, street yeah. food. When I was in, I was in Colombia and I went into like a store that was a bit like, you know, a bit like Woolworths, just sort of like a low budget, kind of low rent supermarket, superstore type thing. Mm. And outside on the high street, outside that store, there was this glass case, you know, those sort of hot box glass cases that you get, you know, to keep, keep food warm. And what this dude was selling was inside the glass case, there was an entire pig, right? A whole pig um, that had, I don't know, been buried and roasted or something like that. But like it's all its skin was sort of browned and blackened mm. in places. Mm. So the skin was all edible. It was chopped in half. Um, let's see, not horizontal, like just down the middle. I'm getting my Damien Hurst on. Okay. I'm trying to imagine yeah, it's how, crazy. It was, how it was And cut. then turned towards you so you could see inside right. the pig. It had been completely gutted. Mm-hmm. And what was inside was all the pork shreds pulled off mixed with brown rice and 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 black eyed peas and you know various herbs and spices and stuff and uh, this is called lechuna and um he'd just get like a burger box top that up massively with ladles of this shit mm. uh and then he had his like three or four homemade um hot sauces and then you just choose a bit of crackling he'd tear you off a bit of crackling mm. off the pig 70p 70p that, that is street food it's kind of like a biryani you know like a biryani mm. like an indian curry all in one with dry rice yeah but with crackling mm. banging mm. that's street food yeah so have you traveled quite a bit then i've traveled the world uh amazingly thanks to stand-up you know mm. um i was never a traveling guy i was when i was growing up i was so london even into my 20s i was just i i, I loved london I never felt like I needed to leave. Even though I had like wild aspirations, you know, I wanted to be an entertainer. I wanted to, I wanted to sort of touch the world with stuff that I'd created for as long as I can remember. But I never had any interest in leaving London ever. Like I, I always had this opinion, like, you know, by the time I was like 12, I could swear in like every language on earth because of the kids I grew up with. You know, like the various different crews I ran with would all invariably have Caribbeans, Africans, Turks, Bangladeshis, Pakistanis, Jews, Muslims. You know, we had it all. We had it all. And uh, I, I never felt the need to leave. I'm like, why do I need to go there? Like I've got, you know, I've got Shahab here. He can tell me what it's like in, in yeah. Bangladesh, yeah, you know. He can yeah. teach me the language. And, you know, to this day, I think, yeah, there's, there's something in that. But obviously, you know, any human being benefits from actually seeing these places. But, yeah, I never made a choice to do it. When I started doing stand-up, I remember an older comic saying to me, you'll, you'll go everywhere. You'll see the world. And I was like, what with, like, with these dick jokes, I, I can't see it happening. He goes, no, trust me. And soon enough, I think my first 
trip abroad to do stand up was in Singapore, and then it was Dubai, and then it was uh, Australia, and then the States, and then Canada, uh, Switzerland, and you know wherever there's an English speaking community, an expat community, or you know the the community just happens to speak English, like in in Holland where everyone speaks English, um, or, or Scandinavia, which I've taught three times where everyone speaks English, you know, you can do comedy. And the, the stand-up culture doesn't exist in a lot of, well, in the majority of countries in the world. It's obviously huge in the States, but even in America, they don't have stand-ups per capita like we have. Relatively, we've got a ridiculous amount of stand-ups considering how small our population is. For some reason, it's this uniquely British thing. And because of the power of the internet, social media and 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 most of all the 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 sites that provide video content youtube vimeo vivo and all of these stand up british stand up has traveled the world and the world is a much smaller place so you can you can go anywhere and do stand up and amazingly since uh, i started in 2008 i've been to every con- continent doing it apart from antarctica <laughs> you know um and that would be uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, and what I love about it is it's different from music where you sort of show up and you you do your songs and 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 then you leave. The structure is the same, you show up, you perform and then you leave, but with stand up you actually get to interact with the people. So you can learn a lot about different cultures. Mm. Uh and you learn a lot about yourself and and your opinions and and also your ideas, how universal you, your ideas are. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I'd say the toughest place to play in the world is is the states as an Englishman because um, we share a language, but the culture is so so different that um, our reference points are wildly wildly uh, disparate. Whereas you know you just go across the border to Canada, and culturally we're much much closer. Uh, I hardly have to change anything to perform in in Montreal. Or, really? Yeah, Toronto. Really, because yeah. I think there's. I've obviously, you know, I've I've seen your shit mm. on, online, and I feel like there's there was some stand up that you did where you spoke about, for example, trick or treating, not really being trick or treating, mm. and and I felt that was one of the parts. And, and go online and find it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> and that was one of the things that one of the smaller parts of a comedy where I was like, am I just loving this because I because I've literally grown up in the same area yeah. as you because yeah. the reference points are mm. so close to home. Mm. Or or can somebody in America understand this? And when I'm scrolling through comments, because I'm a bit weird like that, I like to look at <laughs> comments, they're like, oh God, this guy's sick. Like you can blatantly tell it's somebody from right, America. Right. Um, That's interesting. Like, and so when you go on like, and obviously the Drake thing that he did that we just spoke about, mm. you know, he's a worldwide artist. So yeah, the fact sure. that somebody did something about that, that mm. reference point, mm. you know, about just Drake's formula was mm-hmm. like cut across. So I find that really interesting. Yeah, and, it is. It is. Like Canada's in- incredible, I think. You know, especially you go to somewhere like Toronto, there's such a sort of big Jamaican influence on popular culture in Toronto that you actually hear a lot of the same slang that we have in London, which just always amazed me. You know, um, you know, this, they call trainers creps, you know. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> there's a song that you should seek out and it's from around about 99, 2000. It's by uh, a rapper who for a long time was the biggest rapper in Canada. He was called Cardinal Official. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, look up a song by him called Bacardi Slang. 
And, you know, this is a guy who at the time had not toured the UK no, in the same way a lot of Americans and Canadians don't have a, a massive understanding of, mm -hmm. of European culture. Listen to Bacardi slang and listen to the amount of slang on there that you're like, dude, that's London slang. Mm. How is that possible? Right. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm half Jamaican and I'm of the very biased opinion that Jamaica, despite being a tiny, tiny island, provides a massive amount of popular culture that completely transgresses, travels across cultures around the world. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not Jamaican, so I can give you the outside point of view. I'm half Nigerian, half English. Okay. Jamaicans do cool shit, man. It's just, it's not, it's not hard, bruv. Like you hear, you hear, um, a Nigerian man cussing out somebody. Yeah. Yeah. You might sound like he's cussing out somebody, but something about the way he kisses his teeth just ain't the same, bruv. <laughs> I'm being honest with you. Yeah. Like, That's very I think funny. nobody can chastise like a Nigerian person. Yeah. That's no, very but true. It's just Jamaicans do shit in a cool way. Mate, I don't, it's the way you like Yeah. You know? I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about that country. Um, it could take a lifetime of study, but there's something about that Jamaican swagger that I guess people want to buy into. Of course, you know, of course, it's interesting. Of course, and I mean, then there's, there's, there's some, and there's there's some of it in me. You know, I can mm. I can feel it. I can actually feel it sometimes, and it um, you know, it aids a lot of th things that I do in in terms of the entertainment business. But it's no more crucial than my my british side and and and, and the, the white uh british influence that i, I have in me that, that it's a total balance and i think mm. there's part of a huge part of what makes my work appealing to people it doesn't fall completely in any camp and i've never as as much as i know who i am and i'm aware of how i'm viewed i've never ever publicly said oh this is more important than this or denied any side of myself the only thing I would say, and I've said this in my stand-up, is that despite the fact that I am one I'm of the hundred percent of who I am, I'm fifty percent black and fifty percent white. There's no no other uh, dis discretion. Um, I'll never be seen as white. I can never be white. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I can be black, bro. And that's that's the that's the slight tipping of the balance, which which fascinates me because mm. mm. you know people always say yo you're not fully black like why are you getting so upset about this this racial issue and I'm like well because Somebody's I can't actually be you I can't be white said that yeah I've, I've had those conversations in the past wow um, and I was like you know I can't I can't be you that's the difference that's that's why I'm concerned about this because you know people of colour all share one thing uh which is they've experienced at some point in their life some prejudice based on their face and what they they, they look like um at various different degrees of in intensity and um unfortunately i can't separate that from myself just because half of me is white i'll, I'll always feel those same prejudices and 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 they need to be battled and I, I i've always thought instinctively who better to to battle these prejudices than mixed race people you know who are able to have a, a slightly chameleonic quality and um and speak to all sorts of people without 
it feeling like a, a, a diatribe or like you've got a chip on your shoulder or, you know, a, 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 a case to put across in an aggressive way. I think mixed race people are very important uh, to the whole sort of cultural milieu of the world. And I don't think there's any coincidence that the biggest rapper in the world is mixed race, that the, pr the president, the most powerful person in the world, leader of the free world is mixed race, that Bob Marley was mixed race, that Jimi Hendrix was mixed race, that mm. Prince was mixed race. And these people will live forever in, in, our, in our memories um, and have a huge influence on, on the way that all people, white people, black people, think and, and behave. I don't think there's any coincidence that these people were mixed race. It's funny you should say that. I'm trying to think of a comedian that sits in that area of, other than yourself. And, and No, I kind um, of I, I kind of own that shit. And I'm, I'm glad because it leads to a lot more work for me. It's the one time like my colour has been a huge advantage. I was going to ask you that, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I, 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 in my earlier days of stand-up, I did the black circuit as much as the white circuit. And all the black comics would say to me, dude, you, you got to get off the black circuit. Like you are made for like, the world circuit, you know? And I, I never saw it as being trapped in, in the black circuit. I just thought I'm going to do this gig and I'm going to do that gig. And I didn't change my style really for either, either circuit. The only thing I did was I was probably a lot more energetic at the, at, on the, on the black circuit. Cause you can't be a sort of mumbly. They haven't got the patience for that. <laughs> Plus they on the black circuit. It's never fully quiet, you know? Yeah. Whereas on, on the sort of mainstream circuit, Everybody shuts the fuck up. Everybody, you know. Whereas, you know, black audiences, they'll comment, you know. No, I'm not talking about heckling. They just get involved. Yeah, as you are. Um, so you've got to be a bit more, yeah. like, on your game and a bit more forthright. You can't be as um, self-deprecating, I think. Yeah, and I think you definitely hit that balance when you, the big thing that pops when you type in Doc Brown or, or, or Ben Smith on, on YouTube is something we're going to be discussing in the next episode which you can check out right away in the meantime this show is produced and hosted by me Marcus Bronzy thank you to the co-producers Billy Wright Shane Powell and David Shawcross special thank you to Milo Fisher in research Wide Awake aka CJ Beats and Jordan Crisp for the intro and outro music you can listen to Marcus Meets via iTunes podcast for Apple devices or Acast, which works with every phone that is smart. If you're unsure what will work with your device, then head to marcusbronzy.com slash meets to listen any way you desire. We would love your feedback in the form of a rating and review. You can do that by going to marcusbronzy.com slash review. And if you really want to support us, buy us a cup of tea, become a patron. And in return, we'll give you bonus content, early content and extra information and ways which you can get involved in Meets and form the shape of future guests and shows and questions by going to marcusbronzy.com slash thanks. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, folks. I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 